This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is House Agriculture Committee Chair Mike Connolly. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Chairman Mike Conaway next. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance now more than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Texas 11th District Representative Mike Conaway chairs the House Agriculture Committee and the 114th Congress. In the year ahead, the chairman has proposed what he calls a soup-to-nuts review of government nutrition programs, as well as a constant evaluation of risk management tools from the 2014 Farm Bill. The chairman has taken action to revise the subcommittee structure to give proper attention to policy development and political oversight. Well, we've made two main changes. We've moved the oversight response out of one single committee and put it in each of the subcommittees. So everybody's jurisdiction, they will have oversight responsibilities for that jurisdiction. And, and I now have a standalone nutrition subcommittee that that's their responsibility. And the main reason for that is I, I want to do a soup-to-nuts review of the, of the STEP program. We've not done that. It uh, spends about $80 billion a year, and uh, we need to take a good look at it. I went into the conference and specifically recruited my subcommittee chairman to come onto the committee late in from Indiana. I've worked with her on the armed services. I've seen her in action, and she's the right person to lead that subcommittee. And so we've uh, made those two changes. One, the oversight out of the single committee, put it in all of them, and then put a big emphasis on nutrition. And when you see the um, uh, the size of the nutrition committee will be the same size as the commodities title. Oh, I made one other change, and that is I took the, uh, the CFTC responsibility out of the uh, General Farm Commodities and Risk Management part and put it into a separate subcommittee as well, led by uh, Austin Scott. CFTC has to be reauthorized, and so uh, Austin Scott will be an uh, integral part of that in his subcommittee. And we hope to get that done uh, really early in the second quarter. So uh, I think this new structure will be reflective of the work we've got to get done for the next two years. I don't think there's any more important than, than finding out in food stamps what works, what doesn't work, you know, where are the moral hazards, why do we have 53% of the recipients still in the program after five years, all those kind of things. So no reforms uh, to be proposed on the front end, just simply a review to see what's working, what's not working, and then allow those uh, uh, reforms, if, uh, if any are necessary, to percolate up through that review that we'll conduct over the next couple of years. With regard to the nutrition title, I think there are many who are circulating rumors that if the chairman is a CPA and the ranking member is a CPA and they're reviewing nutrition programs, there's got to be a budget axe hiding in there somewhere. Are you necessarily saying up front that we're going in there to make cuts, or are you looking at places to evaluate where you might actually find areas that you need more revenue? Well, I'm trying to be an honest broker in that regard and basically tell folks that I don't have a preconceived idea about the money. The issue is if 
we get the policies correct and we get those done well, then let the money take care of itself, and, and I think it will. Now, one caveat to that, Jeff, is that if I get budget instructions from the budget committee, which I hope will come with just a, a number that we've got to achieve, then uh, our committee will have to come up with, uh, with some changes in, in those dollars. But uh, I don't intend to do anything uh, with respect to food stamp or anything else short of that issue. In other words, I'm not starting this food stamp uh, review with any kind of a number in mind uh, at all. Let's just work on the policies, get those correct, eliminate the moral hazards where they are, work to get the, the program that's based not on how long you can stay on it. The success of the program is not how long you can stay on it, but how quickly you can get off of it, get on your own two feet and taking care of your own family. That, to me, would be a much more success metric. And so working on the policies first, and then we'll see what happens with the dollars. With GLP in control of the House and of the Senate now, many of thought that perhaps they might have to look at budget reconciliation. What happens if there is budget reconciliation? Would that be a broad across the the measure cut to the USDA budget, or would you be able to pick and choose? No, I'm, I'm lobbying the, the, the responsible parties, Tom Price and Al, if they do that, they just give us a number, as they've done in the past. Don't put any uh, any hints on it or any demands on it as to how we do it. Let the Ag Committee figure that out. We've got the best folks to, uh, in the in the conference, the most informed folks in the conference on the Ag Committee with respect to our issues. And so I'm, I'm telling you, just give me a number. Uh, we'll work from there. Don't give me any kind of specific instructions as to how to do it. The president has talked about tax reform, the Senate Finance Committee committee has talked about tax reform. Mr. Ryan has talked about tax reform. Do you see tax reform and how do you see it affecting agriculture slash rural America, especially given the Section 179 and renewable fuels that depend so much on those tax extenders that fell off the table at the end of 13 and fell off the table again at the end of 14? Well, let me, let me correct one issue. The president's not talking about tax reform. He's talking about tax increases and, and, and raising more money. So he's, don't use the word reform with whatever it is that he's going to propose. Uh, it's, it's not really reforming anything. It's just a flat out money grab from one group of folks and covetousness is going to get to some other group of folks. So, uh, but with respect to the broader issue of tax reform, I think there's great support for, at 10,000 feet, for tax reform. You know, lower the rates, uh, spread the base out, eliminate deductions credits and all those kind of things, it's when you begin to talk about the specific details that uh, you go from preaching to meddling, the old adage, everybody wants to go to heaven, they just don't want to die to get there, well, everybody wants tax reform, but they don't want their favorite uh, provisions to uh, uh, to go away. So as uh, that process moves forward, we'll have to see the, you know, the specific impacts that, uh, that are involved. Especially, I was thinking about, the implement dealers that are out there, the uh, for, for those farmers who want to make capital purchases and plan capital purchases, they really don't have a solid tax base. It's not just agriculture. It's small business and the rest. We don't have a solid tax base that they can actually make decisions, especially with regard to capital investment. Well, you can see this past year the uncertainty and not whether or not the, the 179 deduction was going to be there at the $500,000 level as it had been in the past or not. It wasn't until late in December that that was actually done. And so the folks who were going to take advantage of that who, who we're basically going to finance uh, those purchases through, uh, you know, through those tax savings and others. They didn't make it, either didn't do it or, you know, had to scramble to make that happen. So getting the, the tax uh, code in a, in a relatively stable environment so that producers know what they have and what they don't have, they know what the rules are and aren't, 
uh, as a CPA, it, it would have driven me crazy trying to deal with my clients all through 2014, not knowing whether or not you were actually going to get that 179. And you know, some of them had to make those decisions to buy those bigger ticket uh, items earlier in the year because they actually needed them to harvest and needed them to plant and all those kind of things. So it's uh, it's disruptive. Um, it, it retards the growth because I suspect if you were able to survey, you'd find a lot of people who just flat out didn't make those purchases uh, because they're afraid they weren't going to be able to to, uh, to write that off, and, and that's economic activity that should have happened but didn't. So uh, getting a stable tax code uh, sooner than later is, uh, is in everybody's best interest, uh, including the uh, your production agriculture. So um, whether we'll get that done um, in this environment, and we're similar to where we were last year, big time talk about tax tax reform and whether or not to use uh, reconciliation processes to drive that uh, forward. What do you do in the interim with all of the uh, the, the various provisions out there, the hundreds so of those tax extenders package? Are we going to leave them hanging for another year? And, and I'd prefer to say no, but I'm pretty pragmatic in looking at the circumstances. I don't see a, a big effort right now to uh, to move a tax extender package in the front end of this year. And so we might wind up being similar to where we were last year and just not knowing, and that is not good uh, for any business, and in particular not good for those uh, uh, folks in production agriculture who have to, to buy and, and or sell those uh, bigger ticket items. There are some heavy lifting items that this Congress needs to address, so I'm going to ask uh, to look into the Chairman Conaway crystal ball. Um, how much time do you have here in 15 to do some heavy lifting well, I think the, um, the first hundred days are going to be really important, and they're going to be dominated by uh, the budget. And, uh, and getting the budget through both houses and agreed to then allows us to do reconciliation. And, and these decisions are all still up in the air. We're still having just strong discussions on whether you use reconciliation for tax reform or defunding Obamacare or uh, all those kind of things as to what would be in the reconciliation and how you would use it. And so the big ticket items that you talk about, I think we'll know once we've decided how to, how to handle it, how to take, how to exploit, quite frankly, the reconciliation processes under the budget. But step one is to get that budget done and agreed to in both houses so that you can then use reconciliation. Uh, once that happens, then we've got a much certain different circumstance in the Senate in that reconciliation allows for a 51, uh, just a simple majority in the Senate, uh, limited debate, you don't have a cloture vote involved, and so that's why it's such a powerful tool in that uh, it does uh, uh, allow to, to move some things, but the first step is to get that budget done, and then uh, under that you have the reconciliation structure. So it's all going to be in the first 100 days. Um, you know, most folks in District 11 would use that kind of as a litmus test. If, if the Republican-controlled House and Senate can't pass a budget, uh, in that first hundred days within the time frame uh, uh, that's provided by the uh, the, the law, then uh, then we will have screwed up mightily, and, and we're just quite frankly not going to let that happen. The renewable fuel standard is a polar issue from coast to coast, and especially inside the Beltway. How would you deal with that if you if that was under the uh, the power of your committee and your committee alone? Well, I think you have to be respectful of the investments that were made based on the promises of the renewable fuel standards. You know, we have businesses out there all over the country invest in refineries and do those kind of things. So uh, eliminating altogether is obviously the wrong thing to do. I also think that the current uh, standard that goes up to 36 billion gallons a year is unworkable, and, and no one thinks that's actually going to happen, particularly since uh, cellulose ethanol has not uh, come online the way most, things, most folks thought. So I think some sort of a combination of 
um, the standard where it is uh, and then having it grow against um, uh, actual gasoline usage and that kind of thing would be uh, a way to look at that. But again, that's an energy and commerce issue. It's not an ag issue, except that obviously most of that ethanol is produced based uh, using corn. So I think there's a there's a there's a path forward that uh, you know nobody's going to get it exactly the way they want it, but uh, we'll get it in a way that uh, that respects the decisions that were made based on laws that were uh, in place. So we want to make sure we're uh, uh, we don't do something that, uh, that uh, screws up the investment, but at the same time, we want to, uh, you know, going forward, getting to the $36 billion, I don't think it's realistic either. Country boards and labeling has been around since the O2 Farm Bill, and the WTO says you can label, you just can't label the way that you're going about the business. Secretary Vilsack says he can't rewrite the rule. Congress has to act. Well, we do, and uh, I've worked hard to get that in the last Farm Bill and was unable to, to uh, you know, hold that provision against opposition for it in the in the Senate, but it's going to be one of those things that the uh, Canada and Mexico have uh, ensued, and uh, as soon as that, uh, that that issue is resolved in the uh, in that trade suit, uh, if we lose it, then we'll have to we'll have to propose the legislation to uh, to address that issue. But I don't know that we'll do anything in front of that decision on the uh, on the Canada and Mexico trade uh, suit relative to that. So I think we'll wind up significantly adjusting or amending it. Because I've had that same conversation with Secretary Vilsack. He can't go any further than he's gone, and that doesn't satisfy Canada and Mexico. And we'll, uh, once that decision is arrived at, then we'll react to it. And uh, given the given the, the uh, level of penalties, I suspect there'll be plenty of motivation to, to react quickly and, and get it addressed and dealt with. Mr. Chairman, what about immigration reform? That's one of those heavy items that Congress needs to address but it's been kicked around for a long time. How do you see immigration reform as it relates to agriculture and possibility of anything different than the president's executive order? Well, I, yeah, we're we're going to work real hard to eliminate the president's executive order issues because it's it's uh, uh, extra constitutional and it's not the way to get at it. Um, I think the first step is a border security bill that you'll see begin to percolate through the system this uh, next week. Michael McCall is going to bring one out of Homeland Security that they goes a long way toward uh, establishing operational control of the border. Uh, most of the folks I talked to back home that. Uh, they're, they're nervous and concerned about whatever reforms we might do, uh, as long as we don't have control of the border. Once we've got control of the border, then they get a little less anxious because they know that, uh, 30 years from now, we won't be right back in the same suit we're in right now with millions of people in this country illegally that we, you know, we'll deal with it this time and get that done. So the border security bill first. Um, we, in the House, I'm, I, my voice is going to be one of those that says, look, let's, uh, let's do it. Yeah, piecemeal is kind of pejorative, but it's actually the right way. We're going to go at it on a rifle shot basis. We're going to take up discrete issues within that uh, very broad uh, spectrum of, of uh, problems that are out there and deal with them on a, on a bill-by-bill basis so that the American people can see them, can read them. And they're going to have a 2,500-page tome that's, uh, that looks like a comprehensive fix. That's just not going to happen. I don't think it should. Um, High on my list would be an ag worker program that uh, should be a part of some of those early things that we have the conversations about because uh, when I talk back home about a worker, an ag worker program that has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with, with citizenship, doesn't help, doesn't hurt. It's simply based on the premise that if you've done a job, fine. If you, or you made the premise if you're here legally, you can work. If you're illegally, you can't work. 
And if you got a job, fine. If not, you go home. And once you take the citizenship thing off the table, uh, folks in District 11 calmed down. They said, they said oh, okay, well, that's, that's fine. You need to move forward with that. So uh, in the ag industry, whether it's production agriculture or the processing of agricultural products and the final products, uh, those jobs are, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty clear that Americans don't necessarily want those jobs. We've had really high unemployment for several years, and, and those jobs were unfilled by, uh, by Americans. So an ag worker program, I think, would be high on my personal list in terms of dealing with uh, some of the issues. I think a visa uh, program uh, reform needs to get done. Um, and, uh, and so a number of them, but step one is border security, and uh, and you'll see that uh, start. We'll start working on that uh, next week and in the weeks following. The president has taken action with regard to the relationship with Cuba. What are your thoughts on Cuban trade, and and how does this Congress deal with Cuba? Well, I'm disappointed that the president started down this path without doing a better job in negotiating uh, with the Cubans as to what concessions he was willing to make versus what concessions they were going to get. He got uh, just uh, Alan Gross out of the jail and, and some of those political prisoners, but really made a poor trade. Um, I think it's inevitable that we will reestablish trade with uh, and, and normal relations with Cuba at some point in time. The question is, what do we? You know, how do we? How do we use the leverage that we currently have, and the president may have already given away, to affect human rights issues within Cuba? How to to make the the, the, the rank and file lives lives of a Cuban better as a result of this, as opposed to just enriching the regime and the uh, and the military folks who own all these big businesses down there that we'd be dealing with. With respect to ag trade, I disagreed with what the restrictions that President Bush put on with respect to how to finance ag trade. I think those ought to go away if, if ag producers in the United States want to take a risk. Uh, of collection on uh, on shipping things into to, uh, you know rice and other things into uh, Cuba that that's their business decision to make and, and we ought to uh, we shouldn't have those kind of restrictions in, in place but I hope that the president will do a better job as we begin to unwind the restrictions in, in trying to work to uh, force the regime to make the lives of individual Cubans better as a result of, uh, of whatever we're doing but uh, at this point I'm not encouraged by his negotiating skills he's not done a very good job with the Iranians he didn't do a very very good job with the Cubans. Uh, it just he doesn't know how to negotiate. He wasn't. He's never had any experience like that, and uh, he didn't hire anybody around him. He's particularly good at it either. What about trade promotion authority for this administration, especially as it pertains the keys uh, to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TTIP, Cuba, and any other trade deal that agriculture and others have hoped for, although others strongly opposed? I'm in favor of, of it. The president needs to send it up and, and start that process. He's begun to talk favorably about it. He's begun to put some action uh, to the uh, just the conversation about it. Uh, you know, ag trade was announced um, uh, this, this past week. I think we did $150 billion in ag trade, uh, and so it's obviously important to, uh, to uh, commercial agriculture that we, uh, uh, that we have uh, you know, free and fair trade out there, and, and Trade Promotion Authority is one of those pieces that uh, can help get that done. Chairman Conway, we appreciate very much your time being with us here on Open Mic. The title of the program is Open Mic, so, sir, no questions. I just hand you the microphone, and the stage is yours. <laughs> Well, Jeff, I appreciate that, and the my first name is Mike is uh, uh, is, a, is a play on words. But uh, anyway, great to be with you, and I hope to to be with you from time to time in the future as uh, as my reign of uh, as chairman over the next two years uh, unfolds. I hope to be back with your audience. Our thanks to Texas 11th District Representative and Chairman of the House Agriculture Committee, Mike Conaway, our guest this week on Open Mike. 
AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.